At the 1970 British Open, for those of you who know golf, you're familiar with this tournament, the professional golfer by the name of Doug Sanders had the opportunity of a lifetime winning a tournament on the Professional Golf Association Tour. Just winning any tournament is, is a big deal. But there are some tournaments that stand out as especially prestigious. These tournaments are called majors, and Doug Sanders was one stroke away from winning his first major tournament. <clears throat> he had played brilliantly, as the Brits may say. Uh, now all he had to do to win the 1970 British Open was to make a small three-foot putt. Now, people who play golf, they expect to make three-foot putts. Sometimes in casual golf games, we'll even say, ah, just, yeah, it's just three feet. Just pick the ball up because we just expect people to make three-foot putts. I mean, why even bother with such an easy stroke? But when a person's career achievement is on the line, making a simple three-foot putt can be a fearful ordeal. Although I'm sure Doug Sanders picked up golf and became a pro golfer because he enjoyed the game. In this particular moment, he didn't seem to be enjoying himself so much. In fact, you get the impression that as you watch, if you want to watch the, the replay, you can, that this is a moment that he would just rather fast forward through in his life. With so much at stake, Sanders carefully looks at the putt from where the ball is sitting to where the cup is. And then he goes around and he looks at it from where the cup is to where the ball is sitting. Get it at a different angle. He's deliberating over this putt. And as he does so, the crowd is holding their breath. Finally, he stands over the ball, takes his putter, and strokes. And he watches the ball go and completely pass the cup. Under all this pressure, I mean, Sanders had the ability to make this putt. No problem. But what was going on inside of his mind crippled him and made him famous for completing one of the biggest chokes in golf history. When the stakes are high, the fear of failure can become crippling. And today, as Christians, as people in this world, we're in a similar place. As people living at the end of earth's history, there's a lot at stake. We have this incredible opportunity. I mean, the Bible tells us that we are living in a time when we can see Jesus come back. We can be alive to see him come in the clouds. Incredible opportunity. But as exciting as this truth is, the reality is, is many of us are afraid. We're afraid that we might fail when it really matters, we might fail at being ready. We can ask ourselves these questions. Am I strong enough to make it through the end times? Am I good enough to be on that list of the book of life to go to heaven? With our eternal destiny on the line, the pressure to do right and not choke can be crippling. Thankfully, God has a way to save us from this dilemma, to save us from this predicament. He can keep us from being crippled by fear and empower us to live confidently today 
I want to talk about that. Um, lately, we've been going through, as Pastor Michael has mentioned, going through a sermon series that we're calling Powerful Love. We're looking at the character of God, at who he is, and who he empowers us to be. So far, we've talked about how we can know this love. And then last week, we talked about how we can be the people God has created us to be, loving others, even if that means loving an enemy. We're plugging the website a lot uh, today. I'm just going to put up another plug. You can see these presentations at www.medfordsda.org. And just incidentally, for those, just an aside here, for those who are going to be joining us this afternoon online for the memorial service, we're going to be live streaming that, and the link will also be at this website. So you can look for it there and join us at 3 p.m for Terry Hill's memorial service. But today, uh, as we get into our message, I would like to talk about how we can be free from this crippling fear, free from these thoughts that keep us from following Jesus. The title of the, ser- of the series, or the, sorry, of the sermon this morning is Love Every Moment. Love Every Moment. And before we get into it, I'd like to just pray. Heavenly Father, May we hear you speaking to us. May we hear you speaking words of life, setting us free from the things that keep us from following you and experiencing the fullness of life you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please go with me to the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John. Uh, We've been there before in our series on uh, powerful love and invite you to go there again. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Now, John, who wrote this letter, he was familiar with two different types of fear that we find in the Bible. As a good Jew, he would have been familiar with the Old Testament concept of fearing the Lord and how the Psalms and Proverbs both say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. He would have been familiar with experiences like the crossing of the Red Sea where the people of Israel were able to make it through on dry land, how God performed this incredible miracle of parting the Red Sea so that they could cross through. And as they looked back and they saw the Egyptian army trying to also cross, just as they had done, they saw God close the sea over them and destroy their enemies. And the Bible tells us that their response, anyone want to guess? It says that they feared the Lord and praised his name. Now, were they scared of God? Were they running from him? Absolutely not. This was a fear of awe, a fear of respect. They saw the awesome power of God, and they just said, whoa, we are so glad he is on our side. And they praised God. This same concept of a positive fear is one that John himself refers to when he passes on this message in the book of Revelation to the followers of God, saying, fear God. And give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. There's a a positive fear that we read about in the Bible, but there's also a negative fear, a bad fear, so to speak, that we find in the scriptures. This fear is is a, a crippling type of fear, and it's driven by the potential of failure. This kind of fear keeps people from praying for someone because we are afraid of what they might think of us, or maybe they might reject us. It keeps us from sharing our faith with other people for fear that we might look bad or maybe we don't know enough. It, it keeps us from serving in church because we might be criticized by someone else. The fear of failure can cause us to miss out on golden opportunities, not only to serve but to experience the goodness of God in our life. 
But in 1 John 4, verse 18, the Bible shows us the solution to these negative fears. Listen to what it says. Verse 18, 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love. Let the word of God speak to your heart this morning. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love saves us from choking spiritually, from being locked up. Because just like darkness cannot stand in the presence of light, fear, negative fear, cannot stand in the presence of love. When John says there is no fear in love, he's making an important distinction here between the feeling of fear and acting on that fear, or being affected in our actions by that fear. If you choose to follow God, chances are you are going to experience feelings of fear. I can testify. God is constantly pushing me out of my comfort zone, and God has this way of leading us. His work is so much bigger than we are, and so he leads us to places that are bigger than us, where we don't know how they're going to turn out, and we just can know that unless he holds us, we're going to fall flat on our face. That can be a fearful, unsettling place to be. After all, God calls us to a complete commitment. He says to lay down your life. He's not asking for just a small sacrifice to follow me. He says, no, no, no. If you want to follow me, it's taking up your cross. It's giving your entire life. That can be scary. Giving up everything, including control of your life, can be scary. There's fear there. In 1 John 4, 18 The Bible is not saying that the followers of God will never feel fear. What it's saying is followers of God will not be controlled by fear. In spite of these feelings that might come up, we're able to act with freedom. Without God's love, if you take God's love out of the equation, we have a master-slave relationship with fear. And in a master-slave relationship, the slave has no choice. Whatever the master says, the slave has to do, whether the slave wants to do it or not, whether it makes sense or not. If the master wakes the slave in the middle of the night and says, sweep the floor, the slave has no choice but to go and sweep the floor, even if the floor is completely clean. The slave has to do it. Why? Because the master said so. We have a master-slave relationship when fear, when, when love is not in our lives. When fear is our master, we have to do what it says. Even if it lies to us, even if it tells us to do ridiculous things. When fear says, you are not enough, without the presence of love, you gotta believe it and you have to act on that. When it says that the opinions of others determine your worth, or when it says that you shouldn't give unless you know for sure that you're going to get something back, fear dictates how we live. And so we end up doing insane things like trying to establish our worth when it's already been established. In 1 John 4.18, the Bible says that we do not have to be controlled by fear. We are given an out from this master-slave relationship. We have freedom there. Why? Because there is no fear in love. How does that happen? How is it that there is no fear in love? How is it that we experience freedom from this master-slave relationship with love? He tells us in 1 John 4, 18, he says, perfect love. 
This is the love of God. Another way that that you could say that word perfect is complete. Complete love. Being completely loved by God in every situation in life, at every moment of your life. Perfect love drives out fear. Notice how much human involvement is mentioned here in this experience of being free from this master-slave relationship with fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Notice that it does not say, if you try harder, you will drive out fear. It doesn't say, if you come with the right reasoning to these fearful thoughts that come up in your mind, and you just take them on, mano a mano, and you just throw that's how you get rid of fear. That's not what it says. It doesn't tell us to do anything. To experience freedom from fear, we are entirely dependent on God's love. Because it is perfect love that drives out fear. That's a God thing. His love sets us free. This message here in 1 John 4.18, I think, is especially relevant to Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Because if you read the context, right there in verse 17, it tells us what the context is. It's about being confident on the day of judgment. And as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, as people living in the end of time, we are looking forward to the second coming, but there's also this idea of the day of judgment, the day of God. The day when he will punish the wicked for their sins. For many, the idea of God judging us, that can be fearful. It can be a frightening experience of God judging us, the one who knows all things, judging us. When Jesus returns, those who are righteous will go to heaven, and those who are wicked will not. The stakes could not be higher when we think about the day of judgment and the return of Christ. Everything is on the line here. And to make things even scarier, God is not grading on a curve. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, it says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. In other words, those things that we have done, God will judge. But it's also those things that are hidden, those inner thoughts that we have. God is going to look at everything, the, the thoughts, the words, as well as the actions. And all of those things are going to be brought into judgment. God's judgment is thorough. But as scary as this may sound, John says, we have nothing to fear. We can have confidence on the day of judgment, verse 17 says. And here is why. Because the same God who judges every deed, every word, every thought that you and I have ever done is the same God who is on your side in the judgment. And this is the God who loves you. This is the God who specializes in saving guilty sinners and wiping clean their dirty record. When a baby is happy and clean, no one thinks that 
the baby's cleanliness is a judgment on that baby's character. No one looks at a happy, clean baby and say, wow, that must be a very good baby. Because the baby's cleanliness and the baby's happiness really has nothing to do with the baby. It doesn't say anything about who that baby is. It doesn't say anything about the direction that they're headed in life, their personality, what career they're going to have, what influence they're going to have in this world. It says nothing about those things. All it says is that, that ba- when a baby is clean, and happy. It says everything about the ones caring for that baby, right? No one would look at a clean baby and say, wow, that, that baby's very responsible. No, they would look at that clean baby and say, that baby is loved. That baby has people in its life who are willing to, to change its diapers and clean it up and powder it and keep it so nice and clean multiple times a day. That's what it says about a clean baby. And just like a baby, we are incapable of cleaning up the mess of sin in our lives. We can't do it. But we have a loving father that's not afraid to get in there and get his hands dirty. And because he judges every thought, every word, every action, he is able to thoroughly clean us up. He knows how to clean up his children. And if God is our judge, and he's the one that knows how to clean us up, and he loves us enough to keep us clean, what do we have to fear? I like how it says it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Because we're talking about the day of judgment, and we're talking about a time when Jesus comes back, and we will see the executive judgment of God. In other words, when God executes his judgments and, and gives to us according to our works. We'll see that at the second coming. And, and so anticipating that can be fearful if you don't know this God of love. But what about today? How do we live our lives today? Listen to what it says in Romans 8, verse 1. There is when? There is now, right now as you sit here, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Free from fear now. Why? Because you're so good? No. Because God keeps you clean in Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When John says that perfect love drives out fear— He's speaking from personal experience. He knew what this was like. Prior to the crucifixion, he was filled with fear. They were insecure. They were arguing about who was the greatest. And that is a sign that they were fearful that they were not enough. But after the cross, we see a completely different picture in the followers of Jesus. John himself, Peter and John, after healing a man who was crippled on their way to pray one day. This is after the ascension of Christ. They were preaching Jesus, and the religious leaders, the very same ones that crucified Jesus, didn't like it. They took Peter and John into custody, and they brought them before the court. Now, earlier on in their experience as followers of Jesus, they would have fumbled, they would have run, they would have crumbled under that situation. But we see something very different. They astonished the religious leaders with the way they spoke. And the religious leaders are just racking their brains. How is it that these men could be so confident? And then they put it together. Listen to what Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says. It says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Because they'd experienced perfect love. And were experiencing perfect love every moment of their life 
in relationship with Jesus, no matter how scary, no matter how threatened they might be, there was a greater reality that they lived within and they could act boldly and confidently. No longer did they fear failure because God's love is bigger than our fears. And as children of God, they knew that they were loved every moment. Author Kevin Young, he tells an experience as a spectator at a Special Olympics event, just as the athletes were taking their places at the 400-meter race. It was a well-dressed gentleman that gets up in the stands and he begins to call out, calling the name of one of the athletes as we often see enthusiastic fans do at sporting events. And the athlete he was calling to was a man with Down syndrome, just taking his place there at the, at the starting line. Recognizing his name, recognizing the voice of the one who was calling him, he looked up at the stands and then he turned his attention to the race. The starting gun sounded and the runners all lunged forward except for this man with Down syndrome. He was off to a slow start, putting him in last place, and he was quickly losing ground. He had a preoccupation with his hands, and so he was wringing his hands nervously as he slowly went down the track. But in spite of his poor performance, the gentleman in the stands continued to cheer wildly. And from time to time, he would turn to the the people around him and say, That's my son, Lenny. Isn't he doing great? You're doing great, son. And he would continue to, to shout words of encouragement. As Lenny rounded the last turn and headed to the finish line, all the other contestants had already finished the race. And yet this gentleman in the stands continued to cheer for his boy, raising his hands in triumph for his son. You're doing great. Keep going. And as Lenny crossed the finish line, his father was there to celebrate with him with with a big hug. Lenny was out of breath. He was sweating profusely and he was still wildly wringing his hands. He had come in dead last. But that's not what mattered. What mattered was he was his father's son. That's what mattered. And he had known throughout that entire race that he was loved every step of the way. This is how God treats us. Regardless of your struggles, regardless of the the things that cripple you in your life, regardless of your fears, God is cheering you on from heaven. The Bible even says he sings over you. Listen to his voice at every moment because the reality of God's love in our life, we can be experiencing his love, regardless of how fearful or how crazy things might get. As you go about your day and you're tempted to fear that you're not good enough, listen your heavenly father as you think about jesus return and you're tempted to fear that you don't have what it takes to make it through the time of trouble listen to your heavenly father he's cheering you on you you're gonna do you're doing great you're gonna make it when you see opportunities to share your faith and you're tempted to fear that you don't know enough to tell someone about jesus listen to your heavenly father who's cheering you on He's calling you by name. He's cheering for you. Listen to him. Because he is your father, you are not a slave to fear. You have a completely different relationship. 
God does not make his children slaves. As a child of God, you are free from fear. And as his children, instead of being controlled by fear, regardless of how crazy circumstances might be, we can know his love at every moment of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, by faith we can hear your sweet voice cheering us on that because of your love, we are your children. And because we are your children, we have nothing to fear. God, may we hear this every moment so that we can live with confidence as we wait and live for your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sabbath.